Chapter twenty three of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Lull. Chapter twenty three. Part three. Deep Sea Life. Environment. Extent. While the oceans cover sixty four point five per cent of the Earth's surface, the deep sea is more limited in extent. Nevertheless, it embraces about one-half of the entire globe. Most geologists have become convinced of the relative permanency of the oceans, there having been no essential shifting of their areas, at least since the close of the Proterozoic time. Physical Characteristics The most remarkable characteristics of the sea in their effect upon animal life, which were discussed in detail in Chapter 5, are four in number, of which the first is cold. Below about 3,000 feet, the temperature is 37 degrees Fahrenheit or less. All diurnal and seasonal fluctuations of temperature cease, and the waters are equable in their darkness and degree of heat the world over, whether they lie beneath the pole or under the vertical rays of a tropical sun. In the great deeps, the water is ice cold, averaging about 32 Fahrenheit ocean currents from the polar regions sinking ever deeper flow toward the equator with a deliberation which renders their rate of progress immeasurably slow nevertheless they bring with them to the greatest depth the boreal cold and oxygen food on the contrary sinks directly from the sunlit upper strata into the depths this intense cold is believed to date from the glacial period for with the melting of the ice the cold waters pouring into the oceans, sank into the depths, so that the Pleistocene was a critical time for all forms of life, not only for the plants and animals of the glaciated lands and the shallow water life of the northern and southern oceans, but evidently for the scarcer denizens of the abyss as well. Below the limits of the disturbance caused by the greatest of storm waves, about 150 feet, and below the average depth of tidal action, probably about 600 feet, all movement is exceedingly slow, and there are only the imperceptibly different diffusion streams which mingle the waters. However, about the oceanic islands and in places along the continental slopes, down to about 3,500 feet, the bottoms are without ooze accumulation. The distance to which light penetrates varies with the angle of the sun's rays and the clarity of the water but on the average 200 fathoms is the limit of its penetration. This, as in the case of cave-dwelling forms, has its effects both direct and indirect on the organisms of the area. While atmospheric pressure at sea level, depending as it does on the weight of the overlying column of air, is on the average nearly 15 pounds to the square inch, when one goes downward below the surface of the water, the pressure increases enormously owing to the greater relative weight of water. This rate of increase, which is in direct proportion to the depth, is in round numbers about one ton to the square inch for every thousand fathoms. Even at sea level, the burden of the air pressure upon our bodies would be unbearably great were it not equalized within and without, and so it is with marine forms. The submarine diver in his inflated dress is strictly limited as to depth, and so is the underseas craft, because the pressure is borne by the surface of the ship and is not transmitted throughout its mass, as it is in a deep-water animal. 
hence the submersible is crushed and destroyed at a relatively slight depth compared with that beyond which pressure adapted creatures can penetrate with security summary of bionomic features briefly these are the four factors just discussed cold quiescence darkness pressure add to these the total absence of living green plants beyond the light zone and the summary of conditions is complete sea floor because of its influence on marine life the character of the ocean bottom must be determined away from the continental margins the ocean floor is a vast undulating plain with occasional volcanic and other elevations which may or may not reach the surface and here and there profounder abysses the so-called deeps this floor is carpeted with a mass of material of terrigenous born of the land origin near the shores and organic in nature further out until the profounder depths are reached where the organic materials cease thus the continental shelf from tide limits to the depth of one hundred fathoms is covered with terrigenous material mainly sands with occasional areas of mud washed into the sea by rivers the debris of subaerial and stream erosion and also that made by the waves in cutting back the land out to two hundred miles from land more or less and therefore at depths up to and over one thousand fathoms both terrigenous and organic materials prevail but beyond these limits the former cease except for water-logged volcanic material pumice stone and ash to which should be added the extraterrestrial bodies called meteorites the organic remains are known collectively as oozes and consist of the shells and partially decomposed remains of tiny organisms protozoa mollusca and plants which dwell in the upper portions of the sea and whose bodies fall as a veritable rain into the depths when their allotted span is measured the oozes are one pieropod ooze consisting of a certain percentage of the limy shells of pteropods or sea butterflies mollusca mingled with other organic remains this ooze is not very extensive comparatively speaking and is found at a limited distance from land in depth it ranges from five hundred to fifteen hundred fathoms the second kind of ooze known as foraminiferal or globigerina ooze contains a high percentage of the remains of foraminifera small marine protozoa whose shells are also composed of carbonate of lime of these the genus globigerina is so characteristic and abundant as to give its name to the mass this is the most extensive ooze of all covering vast areas of the atlantic and antarctic oceans its vertical range is from fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred fathoms the lower limit is caused by the increase of carbon dioxide dissolved in the water which in turn is determined by increasing pressure the presence of this carbon dioxide adds to the solvent power of the water hence limy shells cannot exist beyond twenty five hundred fathoms and if the water's depth exceeds that limit they are dissolved before being buried by later accumulations radiolaria are also protozoa which secrete delicate glassy tests or skeletons of silica these while fragile and easily broken resist solution far beyond the disappearing point of the calcareous shells radiolarian oozes are not widespread but occur in the tropical regions of the pacific and indian oceans they cover but 3.4% of the ocean floor. 
diatom ooze is formed of the siliceous shells of minute plants of which a single species is particularly abundant in antarctic waters where the diatom oozes cover an area estimated at ten million square miles or six point five per cent of the entire sea bottom the average depth is about two thousand fathoms beyond the oozes comes the red clay the most widely distributed of oceanic deposits as it covers thirty six per cent of the oceans in depth it ranges from twenty five hundred fathoms downward and really includes the limits of the radiolarian ooze for murray says that the latter may be regarded as a variety of red clay containing many radiolarian skeletons this red clay is derived chiefly from the disintegration of the pumice and other volcanic materials which have long been acted upon by sea water in the greatest depth there is of course practically no limey material present but in lesser depths the clay merges either into globigerina or radiolarian ooze the rate of depositation of the red clay is very slow as there have been found in it grains of meteoric dust the undissolved ear-bones of whales and the teeth of huge sharks the latter are not known to have survived in the pleistocene period and yet the teeth lie so near the surface of the deposit as to be picked up in an ordinary dredge occasionally in great numbers one dredge load from the central pacific containing fifty ear-bones of whales and fifteen hundred shark's teeth food supply the significance of the oozes from our present viewpoint is that they constitute the importers of food into the depth many of the creatures lived in the great pelagic zone where life-giving heat and light are prevalent and where green plants algae flora these algae form the food of the ooze animals and the latter dying descend through the refrigerating cold to the depths below although certain bacteria may be present disintegration must be very slow so that the animal substance remains available as food for a considerable time the ooze is in a state of suspension probably a foot or more in depth and to this come fishes with feeble masticatory organs to feed upon the ooze creatures and in their turn form the food of the more aggressive predaceous sort from the nature of things all of the animals are carnivorous deep-sea fauna all phyla of animals are represented in the deep-sea fauna but they are of course only water-breathing organisms hence the higher arthropods insects etc and all vertebrates above the fishes are debarred origin none of the deep-sea forms is the product of a locally evolved race but they are all simply adapted migrants from the lesser depths either the pelagic or the littoral realms thus their modifications are merely a response to the physical conditions of the deep sea which while it gives rise to convergences as does the cave life does not entirely mask relationships with the shoal water forms it was thought that because of this changelessness the deep sea would prove the last refuge of certain very ancient forms of marine life elsewhere extinct such for instance as the paleozoic trilobites but extensive submarine exploration notably that by the english ship challenger the american albatross and the norwegian ship michael sars has revealed many abyssal organisms none of which is old geologically speaking or if ancient without living relatives in shallow waters in other words no paleozoic survivals are exclusively deep sea in their present distribution in fact there are here no paleozoic stocks at all 
it may safely be said that the deep sea invertebrates do not antedate the triassic and that the majority have affinities with jurassic and cretaceous types the vertebrates on the other hand are yet more recent for with the exception of the sharks and chimeroids none is older than the lower cretaceous and the exception mentioned may well be relatively recent downward migrants although they are representatives of creatures which have survived at least from the carboniferous adaptive characters the adaptive characters of deep-sea animals are summarized by gunther as follows one the animals are frail and weak with very little earthly matter in their bones the flesh is thin and flabby in consistency two simplified colors are the rule either pearly gray or black although some fishes have scarlet fins the last may be an inheritance from a colorful ancestor or as in the case of the blind proteus of the austrian caves may be due to the color of blood showing through a pigmentless skin the pink eyes of an albino are analogous one fish macrurus filicata reverses the standard faunal coloring of sea fishes in that it has a black belly and is silvery on top this may be explained as a response to the reversal of the source of illumination for such as there is is due entirely to the phosphorescent light emanating from the animal life which is largely benthonic hence the enemy looking down on the fish from above sees only the silvery back which blends with the luminous environment while to a foe looking up from below the black belly would blend with the overlying darkness and thus become practically invisible three some deep-sea fishes are blind others have telescopic eyes yet others have eyes like concave mirrors either of the two latter types serving to absorb the greatest possible number of light rays four there are as a compensation for the loss of vision certain tactile organs long feelers and slender attenuations of the fins such as may only be used effectively in quiescent waters five almost all are phosphorescent the light-giving function may be either diffused over the entire body or localized in highly modified organs these may take the form of round shining mother-of-pearl-colored bodies embedded in the skin either larger bodies of an oval or irregularly elliptical shape placed on the head in the vicinity of the eye or smaller round globular bodies arranged symmetrically in series along the side of the body and tail especially near the abdominal profile less frequently along the back this phosphorescence seems to have been acquired before the deep-sea migration occurred necessitated by the nocturnal pelagic habits mentioned above such forms are diurnal vertical migrants coming to the surface at night and sinking below the light zone during the daytime this habit may have aided in their adjustment to pressure changes and thus made easy their abyssal journey accomplished probably by step-by-step -step migration extending over many generations phosphorescence is absent in all freshwater fishes for the only places wherein they could find perpetual darkness the profounder depths of certain lakes and inland seas are of too brief duration geologically speaking for the evolution of new structures such as these the chemical character of seawater as an aid to their establishment in marine fishes has also been mentioned as a reason for their absence in fresh waters but many insects are phosphorescent and none such are marine six many deep-sea fishes live on decaying ooze and hence have lost their powers of mastication 
others are rapacious with powerful jaws seven many show wonderful contrivances for the care of young others produce young in enormous numbers vertical distribution life exists at all depths specimens having been taken even at so profound a distance downward as eight thousand meters or twenty six thousand feet nearly five miles but the numbers of individuals decrease as the dredge descends to greater and greater depths the abyss is however comparatively rich in species though poor in individuals thus at five hundred fathoms the dredge may contain a hundred examples of the same animal whereas in greater depths there may be two each of ten different species sir john murray has determined the number of bottom-dwelling forms at the various levels to be down to two hundred meters about four thousand two hundred species down to two thousand meters about six hundred species down to four thousand meters about four hundred species over five thousand meters about a hundred and fifty species it should be remembered however that the operation of dredging in very deep waters is one involving much time and expense so that a very small proportion of the abyssal floor has been actually explored then too the exploration is done blindly and the element of chance must enter very largely into the result especially if the creatures to be secured are at all alert and quick of movement summary the absence of green plant life must be emphasized but with this exception all the phyla of organisms found in shallow water are represented among the invertebrates the sponges form an important element in the deep-sea fauna and calenterates such as the corals hydroids and their allies while not so numerous as the sponges are also well represented echinoderms among which are the brittle stars and stalked crinoids the latter the survivors of a formerly extensive group are present and holothurians or sea cucumbers are also found the modern stalked crinoids are rarely found beyond a depth of two thousand fathoms although the free-swimming species bathymetra abscissicola has been obtained at a depth of twenty nine hundred fathoms one is however generally suspicious of the recorded depth of pelagic forms for while the depth to which the dredge actually descended may be beyond dispute the contained creatures except of course benthonic forms may possibly have been caught in transit and at a much higher level starfishes while living mainly at moderate depths do descend to two thousand fathoms or more the sea urchins have been dredged from depths of two thousand to three thousand fathoms but those from the greater depths have very light thin shells compared to the bones of the abyssal fishes of the annelid worms while the majority are undoubtedly literal deep-sea forms are also common characteristic specimens having been dredged by the challenger from a depth of four thousand fathoms off teneriffe these were the two building worms but other species also occur bryozoa range to three thousand fathoms brachiopods have been dredged from twenty nine hundred and probably go much deeper a single species having a vertical range of nearly six hundred fathoms of the mollusca the pelisopods have a very great vertical distribution that of the mussel mytilus fasculinus being from the shore to three thousand fathoms in the greater depths the shells of bivalves are exceedingly delicate being sometimes quite transparent in the littoral zone on the other hand thick-shelled pelisopods are the rule 
the majority of gastropods are shallow water forms although a number of them are found at depths of from one thousand to two thousand fathoms as in the pelisopods the shells and their ornamentation are more delicate than in their shoal water relatives and their colors are faint though this is counterbalanced by the brilliancy and beauty of the iridescence and even the non-iridescent abyssal species give out a sort of sheen which is wanting in their shallow water allies cephalopods inhabit waters of moderate depths only but because of their prevailingly great swimming powers only the benthonic or sluggish sorts are taken in the dredge our knowledge of the more aggressive sorts being derived largely as a result of accident or as a by-product of the sperm whale fishery for they constitute the bulk of the dietary of this huge cetacean there is but one sedentary benthonic cephalopod and that is spirula which attaches itself to rocks like an actinia sea anemone or lies partly buried in the mud with its beautifully coiled and chambered shell wholly concealed by the fleshy parts a perfect specimen was dredged off granada in the caribbean by the blake from a depth of nine hundred and fifty fathoms of the arthropods we have barnacles from three thousand fathoms ostracods from two thousand decapods such as crabs shrimps and lobsters ranging down to twenty five hundred though true crabs are largely shallow water forms few occurring below four hundred fathoms vertebrates of the elasmobranchs the true sharks have been taken at depths of from three hundred and forty five to four hundred fathoms and the rays down to six hundred and eight fathoms none show deep-sea characteristics however the shimmeroids or silver sharks on the other hand often with huge eyes and a long attenuated body and tail are distinctly abyssal in their appearance of these chenusra affinis ranges from two hundred to thirteen hundred fathoms calorancus down to six hundred hariata from seven hundred to one thousand and chinuera monstrosa down to one thousand the asociforms spike-like group of teleost fishes includes the cave forms ambelopsidae described above in addition to two families with deep-sea members such as octomitus with a huge mouth small teeth no scales and very small eyes another ipnops is paradoxical in that while it has no eyes it has nevertheless two large phosphorescent organs on the head these may be alluring to aid in securing prey of the clupeiforms or herring-like fishes the deep-sea family stomiatidae are characterized by delicate scales or none and by well-developed phosphorescent organs anguilliforms are eel-like and of these the larva of the true eel known as leptocepcalus is to be included among the abyssopelagic forms another gastrostomus with very long slender body and enormous jaws is a highly characteristic abyssal type gadiforms cod-like forms are not old geologically ranging from oligocene and miocene to recent the deep-sea representatives have the mouth reduced in size dentition reduced eyes very large trunk shortened and tail tapering to a filament thus while cod-like in general aspect they are nevertheless distinctly abyssal but being relatively recent downward migrants their adaptations are not yet profound 
the pediculati anglers include a remarkable group of fishes whose paired fins have become adapted for bottom crawling and the anterior fin rays of the dorsal fin function as a lure unwary fishes being brought within the influence of the horrible jaws and incontinently engulfed the shoal-water allies may be protectively embellished with filaments like fronds of seaweed to permit them to lie in wait in a bed of algae without detection the deep-sea forms on the other hand are bereft of such devices which would be manifestly out of place where no seaweeds exist but they are peculiarly adapted none the less to their habitat as they are not benthonic the pelvic fins are absent and so are the scales the color is black and instead of a seaweed simulating lure the fin rays are tipped with luminous organs to attract the prey one onorodes is itself blind but here the value of phosphorescent organs is at once apparent the deep-sea fishes have been spoken of as weak and flabby of flesh but that is when released from the terrific pressure to which they are adapted the relatively great jaws and cruel mouth armament which many possess imply creatures of marked physical prowess decidedly out of harmony with their apparent frailty when within the scope of human observation another characteristic of deep-sea fishes which has not been mentioned is their very small size for whereas the dimensions of shallower water forms may often be measured in feet a length of several inches is distinctive of many of these grotesque monsters of the abyss perhaps the most striking feature of the deep sea and of the cave as well is their changelessness there is nothing to mark the flight of time no day no night no sequence of seasons and the sameness of conditions year in and year out must have a marked influence on the inhabitants the stream of individual life as well as of evolution is quickened by environmental changes and is lulled into repose where change is not thus these forms when once they are adapted to the peculiar conditions which as incoming migrants they have to meet practically cease their evolution as they diminish their individual activity and consequent metabolism life for them is the antithesis of the feverish activity of surface forms and will be until the next great geologic revolution puts a period to their existence End of chapter twenty three recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah.